0: And welcome to Western Reaches, episode 29. We are back after a little bit of a break, and we have an exciting guest with us today. But first, I'm Saf, and with me, as always, is the other host, Megan.
1: Hello, welcome back, Saf.
0: It's good to be back. And today we have a guest. We have Maddie McKenzie, the developer of the new visual novel Inverness Nights. Maddie, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit?
2: Hi. Um, I'm Maddie and I am kind of an all-roundy game developer person by virtue of not having the money to pay people to do other stuff so (laughs) um, I've basically just finished Inverness Nights which is a visual novel that I directed, wrote, did background art for and then all the other like minor odds and ends that you need to get a game running and um, aside from that I normally do just like all-round narrative design stuff and game theory things, so that's me.
0: (laughs) Maddie is one of the smartest people I know, I think. It's very impressive whenever they bring up something, and I'm like, I have literally never heard this in my life.
1: (laughs) Cool. Well, yeah, welcome to the Um, show. I'm going to try to ask some sort of intelligent questions from the writerly side, but you guys far outclass me in the game knowledge side, so I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, so ask
2: they- me. <laughs> oh, sorry,
0: make <Megat. laughs>
2: I'm so sorry. Saf, you'll have to ask all the lunar narrative dissonance questions.
0: I refuse to ask any <laughs> lunar narrative dissonance questions.
1: Such a great phrase though. So great. <laughs> it's so nice to what say. Was it like It is. I think I first heard that about like 4 years ago and then suddenly it was
2: everywhere. Yeah, in yeah. my case, it came up in undergrad, and basically, the discussion that we had about it in undergrad, because I'm a media studies major, was just don't talk about ludonarrative dissonance because everyone <laughs> will hate you as soon as it comes up.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. It's the first
1: rule of ludonarrative dissonance club. <laughs> there we go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so today is going to be about normal as episodes go. We have Maddie joining us for books and games, and then our main topic is going to be Inverness Nights, which is very exciting. So first of all, let's talk about books. Megan, do you want to go first on this? Sure. Um,
1: I have like a million books on this list, and then whatever, (laughs) we're going to call 17,776 so I'll try yeah. to make it a little bit brief. Um, if you follow me on Twitter and follow me at Den of Geek, you see that I finished uh, Inferno Squad. Um, I read it in about two days. It was it was really good. Um, so that's the Battlefront 2 tie-in. And um, I don't want to say too much about it because it, it came out today in the States. And so... Um, I know like the reviewers have been talking about it but there's not much out about it yet but I really enjoyed it. Um, some of the problems that I had with some of Christy Golden's previous work were not so evident here. It's definitely her style, but I liked that it just sort of felt a lot like fan fiction like it had that really <laughs> like emotional height sort of feeling to it and some of the scenarios were like delightfully fanfic tropey. and that's the highest praise that I can give it, like I say that, with all love. So <laughs> if you're into that, if you think that book is is sort of up your alley in terms of Star Wars, I would definitely recommend it.
0: On a scale from 1 to Twilight Company, where does it sit?
1: <laughs> That's a very wide scale, though. So <laughs> one of the things I was actually thinking about as I was reading it was that it's very different from Twilight Company, just in the scope. Twilight Company um, spanned the entire original well, almost all the original trilogy, it uh, went all around to a lot of different planets. It had a large group of characters that kind of came in and out. Inferno Squad is much smaller scale in that it takes place almost entirely on one planet and with a a smaller cast. So it's hard to compare in terms of, like, the two Battlefront books. Like, yeah, they're both Battlefront books, but they're very different. Um, Okay. I mean, if it was, like, a scale from, like, courtship of princess leia on one end to twilight company on the other i guess i give this like a seven
0: <laughs> i'm not sure how much of a compliment that
1: is i will that, that's such a wide scale <laughs> like,
0: it is a wide scale yeah now
1: i just want to like draw that scale because any star wars fan is gonna have their own idea of what that scale would look like um
0: absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah so like the writing was not extraordinary if you read dark disciple you kind of get the tone that that Christy golden does um, it's a little bit uh how should I say this it's it's very vivid it's a little bit cinematic but it's not particularly dense um, but I think that was okay it the characters were fun um, it kept you thinking there were some sort of reveals so I generally enjoyed it, but I would say if you're looking for Twilight Company, this is not that.
0: Okay, I will keep that in mind while I read this book. Then,
1: yeah, definitely like like modulate your standards. But it's there's like Twilight Company and Revenge of the Sith, and then there's everything else. I feel like it's unfair to compare
0: those to a degree. <laughs> yeah, that's very fair, actually.
1: <laughs> um. So, Saf, you and I both read. Born. I think I had just about finished it when we recorded our last episode, so it's been a while now, but uh, do you have any other, like, things in particular you want to talk about with that one? Because, like, my short review is that I thought it was really good. Um, another podcast, um, I listened to a, a podcast called Generalization, which had a very intelligent sort of takedown of Jeff VanderMeer's style, and I understood a lot of what they were um what they were going for but all the stuff that they critiqued him for for like being um for his characters being kind of distant from their situation and for his science not really being explained is the exact stuff I liked about the Southern Marines trilogy <laughs> and it's exactly the stuff I like about Born which also had a really convincing romance in it which like I usually am not I I don't care for romance usually. So that was unexpectedly pleasant. Um what did you think, Saf?
0: Um I'm still I think I'm a third into it at this point. I'm really digging it. It's like got a really endearing style. I don't exactly know what it is about it, but I don't want to put it down. <laughs> um but I have to because I read before bed so I have to sleep eventually. Uh yeah, the relationship between Rachel and Wick so far seems really believable and realistic and I'm kind of curious to see where it's going to go with that because this book, considering what it is, is impossible to predict where it's going to go.
1: Yeah, it's and it's really not what I expected from the blurb either.
0: Yeah, I'm really I really want to know, like, what Bourne is, because he's creepy. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's one thing you definitely... This is one where, like, sometimes you're kind of shouting at the protagonists to stop doing what they're doing, because she's obviously very attached to Bourne, and I'm like, he's definitely putting off some kind of pheromones or something, like, why would you trust this thing? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, all the talk about the smells and everything, I'm like, there's something going on here. The fact that you're so attached to this weird little squid plant thing, like, the moment you find it, it's not great.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, Rachel doesn't ever come off as unintelligent. She doesn't come off as blind she you understand why she's doing what she's doing
0: yeah yeah i really like the motivation so far and yeah i'm really excited to read more of this book like as soon as i get some free time i'm gonna chow down on this book which seems like a phrase that isn't a real phrase but that's what i'm gonna do
1: (laughs) if if this book was a meal i don't it'd be like one of those like jello cubes kind of
0: Oh my God, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
1: um, so the uh, another like sort of short one that I read was on the edge of Gone, which was recommended to me as a positive apocalypse. It's sort of about who is allowed to exist within safe systems in a crisis and how the group that is allowed could be expanded and and made more inclusive so the main character is um mixed race autistic girl living in um eastern europe i believe and they uh the like a comet hits the earth so it's all about the aftermath of that disaster and about trying to survive and it's an incredibly diverse book and it was uh It kind of moved pretty quick. Not really an adventure story, but like a survival story. And I I really liked it.
0: That sounds really cool. Was it positive?
1: It was. It was hopeful. You never... you, You didn't get the sense that everything was going to turn out okay, per se, but you got the sense that maybe people could be nice to each other, even in disasters. And that was kind of hopeful in its own way, right?
0: Yeah, I like that. A lot of things like to go out of their way to prove how people are not nice in disasters, and it's nice to hear about a book that doesn't want to do that.
1: Yeah, and it was definitely, like, I've been reading a lot of sort of apocalyptic stuff, because I usually do, but especially now, and it was definitely kind of uh, a different look at that and a more... a more realistic look because of the diversity. It didn't. It didn't try to be like everything is gritty and awful and also everyone is white. It was sort of
0: <laughs> subverted all of that. <laughs> okay. That sounds really cool.
1: And you and I are both both read Raven Stratagem, which is the yep. the next one in um Machineries of Empire, which I just like you can just just imagine me yelling for about fifteen minutes and that'll be my review of that book. Um Yes, I am yes, because I mean, the thing that I want to yell about is the spoilery thing, but I really like the characters, and I really like that world, and it, like, yeah, it's all very spoilery, but if you liked the first one, I think you would like the second one as well.
0: Yeah, it's a really good expansion on the first book, and more exploration of the galaxy, which is such a cool galaxy. It's so weird, and I cannot visualize it at all. I mean, I can't visualize anything, but this is especially out of my reach, but... I love all the characters so much. Like they're not—they don't feel that realistic, but they're all amazing and they feel realistic within the world, which is great.
1: I was attached to Kurev right from the very the first excerpt yes. that we got, and I was really glad. Like I was just as worried about her as I thought I would be, and like attached to her. And Chidao, um, I guess we'll call them at the moment, um, continues to be wonderful, and just the two of them bounce off each other in fun ways.
0: I love, I love Kiroev so much. Yes. I don't think I read the excerpt, because I didn't want to be like, I don't want to know anything before reading it, and then, yeah, I fell in love with him like, straight away.
1: Kiroev tries so hard.
0: <laughs> she really does. She's amazing.
1: How, how far are you in it?
0: Oh, I finished it.
1: Oh, okay, so you yeah. know- Yeah,
0: I went all the way through, yeah.
1: The bit when Kiroev does the thing and then reveals that she did the thing, and Jed, I was like, Why? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, that was good. We should definitely do a spoiler episode on this at some point. <laughs> we should,
1: yes. So, I picked up The Forgotten Beasts of Eld by Patricia McKillop because I was told that Patricia McKillop was good and that it was on a list of, like, unappreciated fantasy books by women or something. And I, I thought it sounded interesting because it's about a, a wizard woman who keeps magical creatures. And... As I started reading it, I absolutely loved the writing style. It's very rich, it's very detailed, it's very sort of feels like a fairy tale, but also goes really in depth into the emotional um, breadth of characters. But the problem with this is that it very quickly revealed itself to be more of a melodrama than I expected. It has a lot of pining and a lot of, like, I think I love this person, but I should marry this other person for political reasons, but this guy has a weird stalker crush, and (laughs) what do I believe in, and who do I love? And I just checked out really fast, because it was all about these relationships that I didn't really care about, which is, like, so your mileage may vary. Like, if you like the sound of that and you want really beautiful prose, you might like this. But I wanted more, like, care of magical creatures and less melodrama, so I, I didn't actually finish it. I kind of leafed through it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I am i can't see myself really loving that kind of book myself.
1: Yeah, it was, it was weird, and it was one of those where, like, the main character is beautiful and is constantly referred to as beautiful and like <laughs> she's like super pale so they she patricia McKillip upright would describe her like porcelain skin and her beautiful hair and she just seemed like more and more washed out every time she described her <laughs> just like tone it down like, <laughs> calm down um <laughs> so but at the same time i i think I should probably try another Patricia McKillop book after I've kind of got this one out of my system, because the writing does seem very accomplished and very thoughtful. This plot was just not what I wanted at all.
0: Yeah, that's very fair.
1: And so, oh, what were you going to say? No, don't worry. So I don't know where we should bring up 17,776 the future of football <laughs> because it's kind of a a book it's it's you read it right Should yeah, we bring it's, that it's, up now or later
0: let's do that now it seems like okay. the right place for it
1: <laughs> <laughs> so like most of the internet a couple weeks ago i discovered a thing that was going around called one seven 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 six the future of football right and yeah. um or maybe it's what fu- what football will look like in the future and yeah, something like that. To find this multimedia dialogue-heavy experience powered by Google Maps and narrated by several space probes. And it's very weird. It's uh, this beautiful kind of absurd far-future science fiction meditation thing about why people play sports and why people are pushed to do anything if in like a post-scarcity, post-death environment. And it is sort of long. Um, I have had some people say that they really liked the writing, but they either couldn't watch the videos or like their computer literally couldn't run it or it was too long or something. But I, I do really recommend it. It's free. Um, it's run on SB Nation, which is a sports website that I had never heard of before this. And <laughs> it's... Uh, it's the dialogue is incredibly naturalistic it's really funny it's really heartfelt um it has these really interesting ideas the uh, uh John Du Bois am I getting the author's name right John Du Bois
0: I have no clue I'm yeah, like pretty that, sure yeah. it's
2: John Du Bois yeah
0: um.
1: Brian, our podcast editor, uh, is, is familiar with him and told me a little about him. Uh, yes, John Boyce, but I had never been familiar with him before, and I read this interview with him afterward because this thing has taken off. Like there's a Homestuck style fandom for it, which just it is amazing, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> the the crossover between audiences is incredible, and like. I love fandom, but I would never have thought of turning this into a fandom. But people have done it with a plum, And there's this interview where he talks about his process of making it and kind of what his ideas were. And one of the things that really struck me was that nobody ever scores a touchdown. It's a football story that's not at all about winning. And that, like, really got to me. And it has all sorts of things like that about sort of the human condition. So I really loved it. I do, like, I very much looked at it uncritically. I wasn't really going in thinking, oh, I'm going to criticize this as a narrative. I was just more like, what even is this thing? So my opinion is a bit, is a bit, um, I haven't considered it super deeply, but I do recommend it.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat where I haven't actually thought about it too deeply. I kind of, I think, um, Rami Ismail, the game developer tweeted it and was like you need to look at this kind of thing like he just tweeted in general I was like this is amazing look at it I was like what is this football thing this is dumb so I clicked on it and yeah I got like the first page you get like if you do go through the actual link where you get like the news the news page where it's like what will football like then you scroll down you're just like what is happening because everything gets weird and um yes. I got sucked <laughs> in like straight away because it was so weird and I didn't understand anything um and yeah I like checked for update i think by the time i started it it was like four updates and or something and so i got to the end it was like story continues tomorrow and i was just like no no it has to keep going now <laughs> yeah. so i would like hurriedly check it in the morning when i got to work when i had wi-fi to be like what is happening i must know and it made me really emotional at times like the writing and the characters just the way everything was put together got me really 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 emotional um i really love it i don't know what it is well i i mean part of it is because it's space pros, part of it is just the kind of, like, loving view it has of humanity. Like, I think in that interview that you mentioned that um he did about the process and stuff, he was talking about how he didn't want to do, like, an awful future thing. Like, he wanted something that was more like what people would actually be like in this kind of future, where they just, nothing changes, so they just kind of do what's fun. Um, and I was like, yeah, I like the sound of that. Like, whenever they brought up the idea that everyone has infinite time. Like, that's the only thing they really have. So they can just play these ridiculous games of football and it doesn't matter if they win or not, they're just playing the football. And I'm like, this is really cool.
1: Yeah, and that's what really struck me about it too. And I'd do the same thing. I'd go into work and look for the new update because it has such a huge scope and such a positive outlook. And I was really kind of not surprised when I read that in that interview because that's the impression that I got. It really sort of made me feel positive about humanity, and he made it specifically in order to do that, to sort of counteract so many of these grim narratives. And uh, I think it, like I say this, and it sounds hyperbolic, but I think it is a really unique type of journalism that could change a lot about what what criticism and entertainment writing is he uh he was quoting someone else in the interview when he said we need to stop thinking of the internet as a newspaper that glows in the dark That like it can be more than that and this really showed that it can be more than that and i don't know like he's done these kind of things before i don't necessarily know this will usher in a new era of multimedia football based journalism but it might and I sort of I like that it's become so popular
0: yeah yeah I would love to see like this have an influence on stuff I don't know how much it will but yeah it's just it's very unique and it's probably my favorite thing I've read all year because it just made such an impact on me and it was just so bizarre and I love bizarre like future stuff like this I don't know anything about football at all so it was kind of interesting as well like reading about football (laughs) from the point of view of somebody who only understands rugby which is quite different really um (laughs) and i just yeah i got really attached like all the random characters who would come in for like one chapter and then never come back and then they'd be like mentioned one time somewhere else you'd be like oh it's them again like it just had a really good way of bringing the characters to life with not much space
1: yeah and of tying everything in and he he said he wrote it over like two he, he planned it for like two years and then wrote it sort of all at once which is interesting too in terms of like technique and i have passing familiarity with football i don't really know it very well but like i watched it when i was in high school and we had a team but i was also sort of left going like well is this is this a real thing in football, or is this just made up for this story? I don't know, but I don't really care. Like, So it was a good experience all around.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Maddie, um. have
1: you read that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Um,
2: <clears throat> so I saw the link when Rami posted it as well. Except it didn't come with any preparation for what the link actually was. So <laughs> we well, yeah. did the thing where the Ideal. page starts glitching out. I get really freaked out by interface screws, so I threw my phone uh. across the room. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and um, ever since then, so like I've heard about the fact that that's not a great tone setter, and that it's not like a sort of more spooky apocalyptic. Oh, what's going to happen in the future? Narrative, yeah. Um, And in particular, ironically, I've heard that from a lot of my friends who used to be into Homestuck. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of crossover. Yeah. (laughs) So now that I know it isn't like a horror, like a more horror sort of sci-fi, I'm curious about it, but I haven't really had the time to sit down and go through it. So it's something I plan to look at. I just, you know, need a few hours to set aside to go through the full archive now that it's all out.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Like, it's a relatively short story, but it's still also a lot.
2: Yeah, and especially since, you know, I understand that it's got video clips and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where I feel like I need to make sure that I have a couple of hours blocked off at home
0: so that, you know, I don't run out of data or whatever while I'm trying to go through. That's a very good plan. I definitely did burn through some data with this because yeah where I was staying didn't have wi-fi but I was like no I have to watch these videos right now um (laughs) so it it did definitely steal some of my data so I understand that (laughs) um yeah apart from that which was like the main thing that kind of dominated my thoughts for a few weeks um I also read Dune which I think I talked a little bit about last episode because I just started it um I finally finished it it was interesting i'm not like it was good it was good but you can tell it's old like it has aged a lot in some of its tropes and um yeah i don't think it would be i really liked i don't think it would be particularly well received today yeah if it was released as a thing today people would be like oh what is some of this stuff this isn't great but it does have some really great like female autonomy for the characters and like I mean, it's still got the creepy, like, you killed my husband, so now you own me thing. But, um, also, like, <laughs> it's just got some female characters who are like, I'm gonna do whatever I want, and I love them so much. Um, the villain, still creepy, even at the end, he's, he's creepy, and got some bad tropes associated with him. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> and I want to read more, but I get a lot of opinions on Twitter when I said, that I wanted to read more about which book I should actually read. And I was like, okay, I'm going to deal with this in the future at some point instead of figuring it out now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about the sequels I read. Uh, Frank Herbert himself wrote like three or four of them, I think, and then they start having been written by Kevin J. Anderson and other people. But I really, um, I remember being kind of introduced to some concepts in Dune that I'd never seen before in terms of world building, like the way the political situation was built. Um, but I read it when I was in like high school, yeah. and I haven't read it since. So that that I'm I'm interested to hear that you liked it, while also seeing the what we would today consider kind of political problems.
0: Yeah, it had a good balance. Like there are old books that you read. Like I I think I read Altered Carbon. I made like three chapters into that, and I was like, I can't handle this. But this book June was kind of similar in like. Uh, Do Andrew's Dream of Electric Sheep kind of thing that like the story was really good and the writing was interesting and the world was really interesting and so it made it easier to kind of forgive the stuff that wasn't so great Um, like sometimes older books don't have enough of the rest of the world to kind of be like the story is still good please keep reading Um, in the way that June does like because I think I said last time it has like a really compelling style and I I can't, I tried so hard to place what it is about the writing that does that and I can't do it, um, but even though, yeah, the villain had some bad stuff and, like, the wife owning, or well, not wife owning, but, like, a wife becoming somebody else's woman because they killed their husband kind of thing, like, it kind of joled me out of the story a little bit, but I was like, the way the characters, the way the good characters, the protagonists, react to that stuff makes it less bad kind of thing like yeah Paul is a nice guy like not nice guy TM he's like he's actually generally (laughs) tries to be a good guy most of the time and so when these things come up you don't see them being like abused by the main characters they're kind of like this is how the world works but these characters aren't awful people
1: that's interesting. I'd forgotten. I mean, I liked, it's Ch- Chani, right, is the, the-
0: Yeah, Chani's cool.
1: Yeah, I, I remember liking her, but that was where I was kind of worried, like, I don't know if I would if I reread it. But it sounds like she herself is still, like, you liked her.
0: Yeah, Chani, I don't, like, she definitely kind of falls into that, like, typical love interest for old school sci-fi kind of thing a little bit, but she does, yeah, she's a little bit of a weak character, but I really did like her regardless.
1: And I like that world, like, without that world, we wouldn't have a lot of the sort of imagery we have in science fiction now, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. This seems like a big influence on a lot of sci-fi, which I'm okay with, because it has some really cool stuff in it. Um, Yeah, and then I also read All Systems Red, which is the first book in the Murderbot Diaries or something, which Mm -hmm. a friend recommended to me. And was like, you might like this. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And then I picked it up from the library. I was like, wow, this is really short. And it it reads like it's written as middle grade fiction, but it's really not middle grade fiction. So it's a really weird <laughs> disconnect between the way it's written and what the story actually is. And I guess because it's supposed to be like a diary of a character. So it's written kind of as a diary, but it's written like yeah. a diary by a teenage girl but in a style for children it's weird and i like the story a lot but i can't get over the whole like murder bot name like it's really childish yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah i agree i i mean it's by martha wells who did the rexera series which i generally liked and she she's done star wars books as well but and i was also with, like I looked at this and this looks like something I would enjoy, but I couldn't get past the title. And I I read an excerpt of it and it seemed fine, but it had that sort of like sort of jaunty beach read quality while at the same time being kind of violent. Right. So tonally it was sort of strange.
0: Yeah. It is definitely weird in that way. Um, I don't know. Like I really liked the story it was trying to tell and I, Liked some of the characters, but I just couldn't get past the structure and the format and all the other stuff. And yeah, the the name, the Murderbot thing. I'm just like, I I can imagine myself having really loved this when I was like 13, but I have outgrown that stuff a lot. Mm. I do mean to one day read the whole thing, but I I have not picked it up yet. Yeah, at least the thing about that, at least it's a really short book. I think I went through it in a couple hours, so I might pick up the other ones and read them, but at the same time, I might not. Yeah. So, Maddie, what have you been reading recently?
2: Okay, so... At the moment, I've basically just been reading a whole lot of Victorian set fiction and Gothic fiction because my next project is like a Victorian Gothic thing, and I'm trying to get a handle on what sort of style is used a lot in that genre. But as a result, most of the books I've been going through like are tonally pretty samey. So at the moment, I'm reading something called *The Supernatural Enhancements*, which is a gothic novel set in the 90s about this um this guy and a teenage girl he's friends with who inherit inherit this creepy old mansion and then it's basically like an epistolary mystery novel where they try and figure out you know what's going on with the mansion and is there a ghost there and all that sort of thing. And as far as that one goes, I'm about sort of a third of the way into it at the moment, and um, I think that the mystery elements are working quite well, but it's done this weird thing where the protagonist and his sidekick, um, both of them are also kind of a mystery, like I don't know how they met, I don't know (laughs) what the the exact state of their relationship is other than that they're friends um he keeps on sending letters to someone who he calls i think it's aunt viv aunt liza um and there's no clarification on who aunt liza is and it goes so far as like we don't know where the protagonist is from other than the fact that he's um he speaks english as a second language and he only gives the initial a to introduce himself not even a name and so i feel kind of like while i get the fact that the author is probably going for like enhancing enhancing the mystery atmosphere as well as they can they've kind of gone overboard with that and as a result i don't feel like i know the characters well enough to get emotionally invested in them so that's where i'm sitting on that one right now and then that- there are like a few other Victorian Gothic novels that I started reading and set down um, because they weren't particularly interesting or the style was just not really clicking with me. So the other one that I've actually finished recently was a short story anthology called Suffered from the Night, which is um, a set of short stories which are queer adaptations of different parts of Dracula.
0: <laughs> and, um, that sounds like your kind of book. Yeah, <laughs> or your kind of shockingly, stories. I
2: enjoyed that. Um, I mean, as with most anthologies, there were some that were a pretty big miss. Like, I was very disappointed because the only story which has, like, Dracula as the queer character was also the worst one in the set. Oh, no. It was, it was about, like, this boring 20 something guy who whose family dies and then he has to find new work and he ends up working at Castle Dracula and he's like, oh no, my sexy employer clearly (laughs) has some sort of secret. So it's basically like like a sort of um, Jane Eyre thing, except in this scenario, Dracula is the hot, mysterious employer with a dark secret. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that sounds sort of unintentionally funny. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, it, the problem was that whoever was writing this didn't lean into the camp of that premise quite mm. well enough to make it work. Because uh, there was another dang. one in the anthology which was Van Helsing is like a stereotypical board college professor who realizes that one of his students is super hot, but then it turns out that student is a vampire. <laughs> and that one realized that it was like, basically writing a whole bunch of, of tropey stuff, and and it actually leaned into it and put in basically every sort of caricature feature of the college student is... Sorry, college teacher is hot for student genre. So you've got stuff like Van Helsing thinks that his wife is boring and he's throwing his life away on this loveless marriage. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. But then the one where guy working for dracula not so great played it too straight so that is unfortunate they played it too straight for that that story it is very unfortunate (laughs) not literally straight but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and then the other really good story in that anthology was one where um so i don't know how familiar either of you are with like the original dracula narrative but there's basically this interlude where Dracula has to get on a boat to go from Transylvania to England. And um, so in the original novel, it's basically like a crew diary where they're like, oh no, everyone is dying. Who could possibly be at fault? And then at the end of the section, there's an article in, uh, cut from like a London newspaper, which is like, all the crew on the ship have been found dead and someone saw a mysterious black dog nearby and you're like, oh, Dracula was killing them. Yes, it's a framing story within framing story,
1: within a box of dirt in the middle, because doesn't he travel in a coffin full of dirt?
2: Yeah, yeah, so the shorts um so the anthology has a short story which is an adaptation of that bit of the novel but it's from the perspective of the sailor who was like yeah we can carry like a coffin full of dirt in our cargo hold there's nothing suspicious about that <laughs> <laughs> so it's him gradually realizing that he's accidentally invited this like hot aristocratic older gentleman onto the ship who is also killing his crew and trying to decide whether he wants to support this hot older gentleman's like murderous rampage, or try and get off the ship with this other crewmate that he's fallen in love with, and um, it was surprisingly sweet. And at the very end, he kind of gets away with his boyfriend, but they're both vampires now, and they decide that they're going to go to Australia. <laughs> where apparently <laughs> Why not? they
0: feel they can live free. There's no <laughs> sun in Australia, never. It's never sunny there. <laughs> Vampires will be fine.
2: I mean, I think it rains a lot in, in like, some parts of, like, Victoria and New South Wales. So they might be able to find somewhere okay. They gotta find like the forks of Australia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. An Australian version of Twilight would be <gasps> genuinely I read that. incredible. If
1: we put titles oh on our episodes, I feel like the title should be the forks of Australia. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. in full support of that. <laughs> but we do not usually use titles, oh. so either we're spared or just this one will have a title. That's up to Brian.
0: (laughs) We'll see what Brian (laughs) decides. I guess.
2: (laughs) Alternatively, you start a spin-off podcast about trying to find the forks Mm -hmm. of Australia.
1: Can I get like sponsorship for Mm, that? that If someone will fly me over, I will go.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a a Kickstarter for finding that. (laughs) mm -hmm. Or we could like try and find the Australian tourism.
0: Fund and ask if they would sponsor a podcast about finding the forks of Australia. <laughs> yes. Uh, knowing bureaucracy, they probably didn't even know what a podcast is. Mm, true.
1: <laughs> we'll just find a sailor um, that will put a suspicious box on a cargo ship. It'll be fine. Hey, there we go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Is that is that all our books? Are we are we all booked out? Yes. I think it is. We're booked out. We're booked up. Exciting. Let's talk about some games then. (laughs)
1: No, we talked about Andromeda slightly. Yes,
0: yeah, a little Um, bit of Andromeda.
1: (laughs) So I finished Mass Effect Andromeda, and I think all the negative things I have to say about it, I've said, everyone has said. I kind of realized that it's probably more interesting to talk about the positives than the negatives, because the negatives are so prevalent. So... My takeaway from Andromeda was that I think the one thing they did really well was create a character who was very distinct from Shepard. From start to finish, Ryder was her own character. I only played the female Ryder, so I don't know if the male Ryder's voice actor like did the same thing, but I thought she was good. I thought that the character was distinct. Unfortunately, that was a distinct character in a story that kind of meandered around through tedious gameplay and then Ended up in a sort of non-ending. So, like, I liked her, and I liked, again, like, the things I liked about this were also the things I like about fan fiction, Where, like, characters would get together and have a movie night, and there was an epilogue, which I think is something that more games should do, where you kind of went around and talked to your characters about how they felt about the finale. And I really liked those things. But... It was not immersive. It was too long. It was tedious. You've heard all that before.
0: Yeah. Would you recommend it now that you finished it?
1: Um, so I mean I know some fans who are hardcore Mass Effect fans who really liked it. That I'm not I mean there are definitely people that have said it's really good. Um, There are more people that have said it's not. So I think if you, like, <laughs> watch a scene from it or if you read all the reviews by now and said, oh, all that stuff sounds fine. I think I'm going to like the characters. Like, go for it. But I feel like it's been out long enough now that all, all I can kind of say is do the research and, like, you will know whether you will like it or not. Do you, is that is that a non-answer?
0: I mean, it's a non-answer, but it answers it.
1: <laughs> I mean, so my my initial impression is no, but I've also, like, for a while I was, like, being really harsh about it and, like, following every time I mentioned the word Andromeda with, like, a sad trombone. And I Aww. realized that that's a bit extreme, too. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. I'm not... It's complicated. And now with Anthem coming out, like, my whole relationship with Bioware is complicated, so... yeah.
0: I'm with so, you there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, and I, I don't know if this has been something that you've brought up as a complaint about Andromeda before, I feel like most of the Bioware games that I like more tend to be the ones where they just have a tighter focus, like how Mass Effect 2, you know, it's really honed in on just doing the suicide mission and hitting the loyalty quests. And it feels like whenever they try and spread things out more with explorable worlds and that sort of thing that they stop playing to their strengths and that yep. seems to be what some of the issue comes from. I haven't had a chance to play Andromeda yet, but but would you agree that that feels like a an issue with their work?
1: I would definitely yeah. agree. agree they absolutely kind of tried to tack on the open world stuff in a way that I don't really think worked. Like, there were a lot of- Yeah. Maybe not a lot, but, like, several missions that were designed to sort of show you how the open world stuff worked that involved, like, going from point A to point B, but there was nothing really interesting at at point A, so your incentive to go wasn't very strong, and then you were just sort of bouncing across this enormous map, and- I felt also, and I've I've read before that the engine, it was built in, and and Saf, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't, it was built to be able to handle these really big worlds, but not necessarily to handle RPG progression. So that also just felt kind of like it was this Frankenstein of, of different parts stuck together.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I sat with Inquisition, and I can kind of see my- that was one of my big worries about Mass Effect Andromeda. Like, I still haven't played much of it. I wanted to play more when I was in Wellington, but um, the patch to play it was as big as the amount of data I had on my mobile data. So I was like, nope, I'm not <laughs> going to be playing this game while I'm here. Um, yeah, I think Bioware has had a lot of practice in telling, like, somewhat linear stories. Like, they're still branching but they're linear stories that are very focused, like KOTOR and the first, well, not the first Dragon Age, but like, it still kind of had that focus and Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3 all kind of have it as well. And And Dragon Age 2 is pretty. Yeah, Dragon Age 2 is very tight with its story. And so they have a lot of practice with that and they tell that story really well. But with new games, because stuff like Skyrim and all the big new engines and all this exciting stuff has made open world a lot more accessible and also something that you know, would suit Mass Effect, right? Like, that was one of the cool things about the first game was that you could kind of go to other worlds and just kind of drive around. Um, but they don't know how... I don't think they've quite figured out how to build the story from the ground up with an open world, which is fair mm. because it's a completely different way of telling a story. But I think it can be really obvious and Inquisition really kind of drove that home for me and I was hoping they would learn those lessons for Andromeda, but I'm not sure they really did.
2: I feel like as far as... um as far as Bioware and the difference between their linear games and their open world games go, um, it feels like they've realised that they have a fairly like their existing IPs all have fairly detailed settings which have a lot of potential, you know, groups and settings that can be explored in an open world. But I don't think Bioware have necessarily realised yet that most of the 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 people that they've got there seem to be specialized more in telling a linear story i feel like yeah. if they did something a bit more like um like with bethesda from fallout 3 to fallout new vegas where bethesda did fallout 3 because they're good at open world and then fallout new vegas which is more story driven got handed over to obsidian who are good at stories like if Bioware did a team up with A developer that's used to seeding things through an open world so that the world is the point of interest rather than the story inside it that they could turn out something really good and i'd be interested in playing a game
0: like that it's possible but they might end up with similar problems again because i mean like bethesda is a good open world but they lose their story in those worlds like i think like i don't know it's a really really it's like three percent or something like that have finished skyrim's campaign or something like that it's really really small number um Hmm. And if they, even if they did team up with somebody else who did that, I think we'd end up with more of an open-world game than a narrative game, which is kind of where BioWay's strength is. Like, if they... Like, like the problem is that nobody really does... Well, actually, Horizon Zero Dawn managed to do open-world narrative-driven pretty well, but that's one of the few games I've actually seen that kind of handled a linear narrative in an open-world in a way that didn't lose the narrative.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um. What I think I'm getting at is more like it's not... Bad necessarily to have an open world game where the narrative isn't so strong and it's more about points of interest within the world being yeah. something that you're there for. Like, um, to my understanding, the newest Zelda game is one of those things where it's more about what you can find in the space rather than the usual like go there defeat Ganon element of, of yeah, the Zelda yeah. story. Like that can work. I think it's just that Bioware either need to get way better at balancing things. Or just sit down and say, we're going to make the world the point of interest rather than the narrative mm, Which time. it looks like is... Or um, or
0: they just decide... Sorry, it it, it almost looks
1: like that's what they're doing with Anthem, making the world the focus. We know so mm. little about it right now, but yeah. that might be where they're going with that.
0: Which is interesting, because I think a lot of people play Bioware games and not for the open world, they play it for the story of the game. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting seeing the evolution of Bioware over the next few games like they've they've started hiring for the next dragon age game um like they've openly said it's the next dragon age but they haven't said what it is yet and so i'm curious to see what they're gonna do with that because yeah it could end up in a similar place as the previous games or they could realize that they need to focus on story or world more and tighten it in either of those directions so we'll see where that goes like mm. andromeda i still really want to play it i want to play it on a computer that can handle it so it doesn't give me a headache after like half an hour um but I want to see the world, and I want to play the game, and I'm going to want to play any Mass Effect game that does come out, even if it's like in 10 years, because mm. they've kind of frozen at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit lukewarm on Bioware at the moment, because I'm not sure they're going to keep making games that I want to play.
2: Yeah. In my case, I loved the first three Mass Effect games, but I also have not been... Like, I haven't had the time or the money to really afford any games from the front half of this year, and I think Mass Effect Andromeda isn't going to be on my priority list when I get the chance to go back and, and pick up the stuff that I've missed. Yeah, so that's So I don't know if I'll ever get around to it.
0: Yeah, that's totally
1: fair on the kind of polar opposite of that in terms of focus on story and characters is Oxenfree, which I think you've sap. have you played that? Yes. I love that game.
2: We've all yeah, played you it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: spoke of it really highly. Um, I was recommended it during it. It was on sale like last week or something. And uh, so I finally picked it up and instantly like the first set of, of, dialogue choices was like everybody's right this is exactly how teens talk like this just (laughs) sounds right like I I shouldn't have doubted it um and I I really enjoyed it I do want to go um back and play it again although it is one of those choice games where I'm like I don't want to be mean to anyone so I don't want to like pick the mean things just to see what happens um I do want to try for the ending with I guess it's not super spoilery to say the the fifth character right um I want to try to, like, unlock the fifth character, which is an extremely um, <laughs> vague way to say that.
0: Um, I got that my first try. I got, like, the good ending my first try, and mm-hmm. I was like, but this isn't the ending I wanted. I didn't realize there were, like, multiple endings in that way, or that even was an ending. And I looked at people were like, wow, this is a good ending. How do you get it? And I was like, no, I didn't want this. I didn't want this.
1: Aw. Well, and that's, <laughs> yeah, we can do a spoiler space at some point. But I I really enjoyed it. It was creepy. Um, I didn't necessarily think that the story was, like, surprising. Like, once weird stuff started happening, you pretty much knew what it was from. But it was still creepy. It was like uh, I wanted to play it during the day because the sounds were so (laughs) creepy.
0: Mm. Yeah, the sound design there is really good. Yeah.
1: I I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) Yes i do i do mean to replay it one of these days i liked um oh the quiet girl what's her name uh no 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 yes i liked her yeah um i liked all of them really
2: so i i still haven't replayed it at all i i did one run through back like right when it came out and then i left it at that um and I got the best ending, but I also remember for my entire playthrough just being really mean to Rin. Normally, <laughs> I'm not mean to characters when I play through stuff, but Ren just like annoyed me so much with some of the things that he does when everyone's you know trying to solve this mystery and get off this island, all
0: right? So He's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke some weed yeah. or whatever. I'm like, okay, yeah, buddy, you're that character. And some
2: weed, and I'm just like, oh my god, Ren. <laughs> the gloves are coming off. I could be mean to someone. <laughs> um yeah. mostly I liked uh is it Jonah or Jonas? Jonas, Jonas. I think. Jonas. Yeah. yeah, I liked Jonas a lot and um I also liked Clarissa, so
0: I wanted I <laughs> I wrote awful. And I found that you could actually kill her. <laughs> I was oh. like, I'm gonna kill her on my next playthrough. I hated her so much. <laughs> She's so I guess possibly because like uh the main character alex has like the whole dead brother thing mm-hmm. and i'm like my mum's dead and then like clara said some really awful things to to alex about her brother and like her brother dying and it being her fault and stuff and i was like i cannot abide these things you were saying you're the worst and then when the game was like do you want to kill her and i was like no that's too mean i'm not gonna do that and then and i also thought like the game wouldn't actually let me do that and then when i found out later on that you actually lose her then, like she actually straight up dies. I was like, I'm going to do that on my next playthrough because screw her.
1: (laughs) I think I did what was the, possibly the the emotional journey they intended you to go on, which is that I absolutely hated her at first and then realized why she was the way she was and sort of like, oh, we're supposed to compare our types of grief here and kind of (laughs) saw where she was coming from. I still didn't really want to be friends with her, but I didn't want her to die. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I saw where she was coming from, but she just rubbed me the wrong way. Which I think is something great about this game, is that, like, a bunch of people, like, people have really, like, strong opinions on the characters. Like, I know a lot of people that hate Ren. I love Ren. He's such a little dumbass, and I love him so much. (laughs) And there are people who, like, love Clarissa, and I'm like, she's the worst. She can die.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, I guess I liked Ren. I got a weird vibe from Jonas. I didn't like Jonas. I mean, it might help that, like, in, like, real life, I have, like, sort of, comparable family situation so I immediately like Mm, tacked someone on to him but not that like (laughs) I don't think that my mother's husband's son listens to this podcast but like (laughs) there there was I was able to understand that idea of like when you're almost family with someone but you don't really know them very well so I could really tack Mm. that on to him and so I, I wasn't super fond of him but that like Oh, no. I do I also didn't probe into his backstory. I know you could ask him questions, and I didn't really probe mm. much, so there was probably more to him than I found. Mm.
2: Yeah, in, in my case, one of the reasons I liked Jonas was, like, same sort of reason that you didn't really connect with him, which is, um, when I was growing up, my dad dated like a lot of different people, and a few of the women that he dated had sons about my age, so I'm like that whole experience of hey you have to like go somewhere with this guy that you don't really know who is in your age group who you're in theory kind of in a familial relationship with and try and get along with him yeah during that time was like very resonant with a lot of occasions when i was a teen so yeah
1: that like theoretically, in a family with is a good way to put that. I think, wow, this is, like, bringing up a lot of stuff, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) this game is too personal. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's that's another thing that's good about this game, is that, like, it is very relatable. Like, all three of us have said, like, a personal thing that we've identified in another character kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think the characters are are real strong. I really love that game. I love it a lot. I really want to replay it one day, but um (laughs) it's a little bit tedious to replay i've tried Mm -hmm. a few times and i think i'd be fine now because i don't remember most of it but it is very much like oh i've done this before sort of thing
2: yeah in my case um the the tone of it isn't quite my thing but i feel like it's well written enough and it like overall a good enough quality game that i really enjoyed it anyway but i don't feel particularly compelled to replay it because of the fact that um, you know it didn't super click with me as a person it's more something that i respect and i enjoyed for the few hours that i was with it
0: yeah that's fair
1: the Destiny Two beta came out this week, so I played that for a, a couple days. I didn't get to go online on Sunday when the new social space was available, but I played the first two missions, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I was almost surprised that the um, the story seems very comparable to the the first Destiny story. I don't nothing about the writing really like blew me away. But a lot of it I think was still hidden. So what the beta was really good for was seeing the new the um the new way loadouts work and like the new powers. I think we still have yet to see what the story is going to look like. But generally I had a lot of fun. I'm really excited for, for Destiny too.
0: That's what's important is that you have fun. <laughs>
1: Yes, it is always fun. And it's fun for the exact same reason as, as Destiny. It's because I play with friends, and it's just a really satisfying shooter, and the like, the sounds are really good, like, every gun sounds different, and I think that's always been, like, Bungie's strength is in the, the sort yep. of just
0: clearing a room gunplay aspect. Oh, uh, yeah. Bungie's always been really good with guns. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. That's cool. I have been playing, um, I finally got around to playing Her Story, which have been, like, told by a million people I need to play, and then I actually ended up having to play it for, like, game research, which is great. I was like, sweet, I can actually play a game for legitimate reasons. Um, and I I really dug it. It's, like, a game where you are faced with a computer and you have to watch through, search through a database and watch through, like, all these videos to figure out what is this girl's story, basically. Um, and it's really cool. I like the way it's done. It's very simplistic. It's just, yeah, you type stuff and you've got to, like, try and figure out how to find certain videos to get the truth that you want. Um, and uh, somebody, somebody I know ended up finding, like, the final, like, the important video, like, straight away <laughs> because they typed in the right word and found it. So it's a very nonlinear way of telling a story because you kind of discover it as you think of the right phrases to type. Um... I dug it. I can see why it won like a narrative award and stuff because it's, it's pretty legit.
1: Is that the one with live action video?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit jarring because, um, you get the live action video, but every now and then like your screen kind of flickers and you get a reflection of the character you're playing. And they're like a kind of terrible CGI character. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, Ooh. Okay. (laughs) But that's very rare. It doesn't happen that often.
2: That's so strange. Welcome right. to your new life as a bad CGI model. I the don't tr- want this. <laughs> the true thriller of the experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I also played uh, Brother is a Tale of Two Sons, because it's another one that I've been hounded to play um, for narrative design reasons. Because people are like, it's the only game that the mechanics have made me have feelings. And so I think I went into it expecting that, which was kind of a problem. And so I spent the entire game like fully like hyper-analyzing all the narrative stuff. Um, which, when I do that, it definitely takes away from a game. I think being told the mechanics were part of, like, the emotional storytelling made me realize really early on what was going to happen. Um, and so when it happened, I was just like, oh, there there it is, I guess. Uh, and <laughs> also, I hate the story. The story was really bad. <laughs> there's not much story in it. And there was one point in it, which is, like, a little... There's, like, a little side quest you can kind of do to get achievements. And there was one point where, um gonna quickly mention suicide here there's a character that you can see trying to hang themselves and you can save them or not save them and my game glitched like every time after i save them in an un (laughs) in a game breaking kind of way so i had to restart the chapter i had to do that three times possibly four times and by the last time i did it i was like either this has to work i'm gonna stop playing this game because this is just like emotionally harrowing um i found that not not a great little side thing to have in a game. I'm not super fond of that kind of stuff. I think I mentioned before, I'm not fond of games that gamify suicide in that way to get an achievement. Um, but it did definitely kind of give you a sense of the world you're in, that, that you kind of just walk past that happening. Um, yeah, it's a very grim game. Can't say I loved it, can't say I hated it, but I can see why people appreciate it.
1: I mean, that was also something that
0: su- surprised me about... Oxen free that it does get very dark
1: very fast.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. The game was something. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I played it because it definitely taught me some stuff. But yeah, I I could have lived with never playing that game in my life, honestly. Um, and then also I played. Oh god, what the hell is it called? Um, Two thousand to one: A space felony, or how I came to value my life and murder mercilessly. <laughs> Um <laughs> that's a title which is it's it's a great it's a great game. Um one of my friends has been a developer on it so I've been like waiting for it to come out. Uh and so yeah, it finally came out and I played it. And it's it's really great. Like it's <laughs> it's a murder mystery kind of thing where you're on a spaceship and you've got to figure out why everyone is dead and you've got like a smartass AI that's being a smartass Um, and it's basically, yeah, you, you're there as like an investigator to figure out whether or not the AI is guilty of murder. Um, and yeah, it's a whole thing where you explore through the ship. It's got like a really cool art design style. Um, but also playing on a laggy computer makes it really dizzy because you're floating through space, which has its, its problems. Um, The story was really good, and at the end, I ended up even getting chills from what happened. So I highly recommend that. I think it might – I'm not sure if there's any way to get it except for in the Humble monthly bundle. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, if you're a subscriber to the Humble Trove, you can get it, apparently.
2: Um, I know that previously with those um, Humble exclusive games, they've normally come out on other platforms like Steam and just for sale in the Humble store in general, like about two to three months afterwards. So. Yeah,
0: they say that on the edge page that's going to come out eventually. So I definitely recommend that when it comes out. It's a very short game. Like, it's a couple hours play, but it's really good. Uh, different style, very different style, but I liked it. Cool. Yeah. So, Maddie, what have you been playing recently? Hey, I've finally had time to
2: play video games again with my life. It's so
0: weird. Yay!
2: <laughs> um, so luckily, I finished working on Infinite's Nights like, in the middle of the Steam sale, so I was able to pick up a few things that I've been wanting for a while, but haven't quite been able to justify getting at full price. So um, I picked up, but I haven't yet played uh, Transistor, and yes. then also um, a visual novel called uh, Root Double, which sounds interesting it's about like you're in a nuclear reactor which you have to try and stop from leaking out radiation and all that sort of stuff um so that'll be cool whenever i get around to playing that (laughs) the one that i have had time for is uh shovel knight which i realized came out three years ago but it's really good and um if There are people who haven't played it at any point during the last three years. It's amazing. I know everyone has said that it's amazing, (laughs) but I would like to reiterate that it's amazing. (laughs) Um, So for anyone who is not aware what Shovel Knight is, it's basically this 8-bit throwback platformer in the style of things like um, Mega Man, the old Mario games, and the old Castlevania games where you are a little knight who is on an adventure to defeat some other knights and try and figure out what happened to his knight girlfriend, oh. and um, <laughs> it's really sweet. It has a really beautiful uh, chiptune soundtrack, and it's one of those games where you've got a limited move set, so basically, at the outset, Shovel Knight can uh, jump, hit things with his shovel, and then use his shovel to pogo on stuff. And you get some special abilities over the course of the game, but most of the way through it's just relying on those three, especially since it can't guarantee that you're going to pick up the other abilities. And as a result, all of the challenge and differentiation between the different stages of the game comes down to the level design. And it's just it's really beautifully designed. All of the levels have like different themed challenges in them uh, based on whoever the final boss of the level is and as a result even though it's got a really limited story you get a really good feel for who all the characters are because um a lot of the time whatever obstacle you face in their level tends to be a sort of precursor to what their personality is and and all that sort of thing so you've got stuff like uh there's a boss called Plague Knight who likes doing alchemy and making explosions, and so his level is covered in these flame jets, which mean you have to keep running because you can't stand on the same place for too long without getting burned. And that kind of sets it up for the end of the level when you find out he's got a really erratic personality and um, his boss fight ends up being a really chaotic thing where the floor is destructible and he's throwing potions at you that damage you but also the levels of the floor and that sort of stuff so it's a very simple but elegant fusion of the game design and the narrative and i really loved it and i especially loved the dlc (laughs) (laughs) um so it's got two different playable characters for the dlc that's out so far and then they're releasing a third new player character i think later this year or beginning of next year um so there's plague knight the explosions guy there's um specter knight who is like a slashy scythe wielding ghost knight and then later they'll be releasing one called king knight who i don't know what king knight's deal is because he doesn't really have like his theme doesn't really cue any sort of gameplay because he's literally just a a knight that wants to be a king and wears a fake crown (laughs) and stuff Um, Plague Knight was fun but like not really special in any particular way but then Specter Knight they redid all the levels they um, redid the whole soundtrack and then they had a completely new prequel story to the rest of the game and um, I was really upset because it made me feel things for these stupid 8-bit characters (laughs) (laughs) um i mean do you mind spoilers for things on on usually we only do
1: spoilers if we're doing them in like them as the main topics so i would kind of talk around it but i I haven't played it so i don't know how important the spoiler is to the discussion so i'll leave that to your discretion
2: okay well uh, basically it's the payoff for spectonite so i i won't spoil it exactly but um I will say that so it does kind of fall into a case of like plausible deniability, I guess. But I appreciate Spectre Knight's queer representation and the fact that he is apparently a gay ghost boy, which is cool and something that I am into, <laughs> so <laughs> there's my talking around the spoiler, and I felt I felt strong emotions for him and his boyfriend partner husband guy (laughs) 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 um and then aside from shovel knight i've played a couple of visual novels recently so um i dipped my toes a little bit into dream daddy Oh, which yeah. is obviously kind of the big thing at the moment. Um, I did play I was, a bit of that as well, yeah. Yeah, I was playing it um, at a friend's place, so I didn't have time to do more than one route. Uh, I did the Knife Dad route. Knife Dad? Uh, you know, the Leather Jacket one who hunts cryptids? Oh, yeah, yeah. the leather guy, yeah. is <laughs> Robert. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Robert.
1: I am not very familiar with this game. So that was a delightful sentence for me. <laughs> I mean, I know I know the basics that it's a dating simulator, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I'm yeah, sorry, a, go on. It's a dating sim where everyone is a dad and um so it well, in relation to that as far as it goes as a dating sim, um I felt kind of like, just based on a single route, and then what I've seen from other people playing the rest of it, um, it's been made by a team of really talented people with good ideas and a high quality of work, but also in a huge rush. um, Mm Because it's one of those things where what is there is of a really high standard, but you've got stuff like you only go on three dates with with each of the dads, which works out to maybe like an hour with each of them individually. And so when you finish, you haven't really advanced a relationship with them or anything. It's more like, yeah, I know the bare minimum of facts about this dad and, um, and I am willing to date them in the future rather than having any sort of journey with them.
0: Yeah, they got real short emotional arcs there.
2: Yeah, and then um, you've got stuff like the sprites are really high quality but um, each of the characters has a kind of limited range of emotions that have been drawn in for them and you create your own character at the start of it but your character is in a different art style to everyone else and neither of the art styles are bad but they don't quite match and um, there are a lot of little glitches and things where you can say, for instance, at the start of the game that you had that your dad previously had a wife and it won't it'll keep saying that you had a husband and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they've got
0: a few variable issues I've noticed in that game. Like you'll pick a choice and then it'll like give you the wrong response. Like, you've picked a different choice, and you're just like, mm. ah, okay. <laughs> Which is interesting. Yeah. And also, I hate, I personally, I cannot stand that fungus text noise, because I've made so many prototypes <laughs> in fungus. It drives me up the wall. And the fact that they don't have any option for turning that off is the worst thing they could have done to me.
2: Okay, okay. So, I find that funny, because, um... So, so the people that I was playing Dream Daddy with are Saf and I's mutual friends. And when I went over there um everyone who walked in kept on mentioning the text noise and being like why does it make the same text noise for everyone why won't it stop and then someone would respond being like saff brought that up and she hates it so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i definitely the moment the moment the game started i was like oh no they made this in fungus and it's that sound like instantly i remember when we were developing lover watch i was like we have to turn the sound off i cannot stand this (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, man. So your your hatred of this sound is legendary now. I'm glad. It's... I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> it's spoken of across the land. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I I liked what I played of it, but I think they needed probably another six months of dev time to to iron out a lot of the problems and then also maybe just yeah. add you know, even one or two more dates or a more involved epilogue for each character so that it's not so much I've met this person, that's cool and more like I've met this person and at least you know started some sort of relationship with them
0: yeah I agree with you there
2: hmm. and then the other visual novel that I've had a chance to play a reasonable amount of recently is one called Animal Lover which even the developers have to note at the very start of their description, is not a furry game. <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> Good to know. It's um, So it's more of a like sort of fruits basket-y narrative, if, if you're familiar with that manga slash anime from the early 2000s. Um, you're basically this vet student who is working at a clinic, and someone brings in this hamster, and... The student kisses this hamster, and whoops, the hamster the hamster turns into a guy. And oh. he's like, there are a whole bunch of guys who are cursed to turn into animals, and we have to try and find them, and save them from this, because it sucks. <laughs> and so you and this boy then go and find four other boys, and they all reveal that a witch did this to them, so it's a game about trying to find this witch and help these boys. But um... I thought it was quite interesting because so it's an Otome game or like a visual novel where you are a girl dating boys, which is normally a genre that's sort of framed around uh, like traditional romance novels where the whole idea is that you're meeting a whole bunch of faultless dream guys who fit into a variety of archetypes of like what women hypothetically want in fiction. And um, so Animal Love It is an otome game but it was written by a guy and his specific aim with it was to write an otome game that balanced between having sort of wish fulfillment-y archetypes but also writing uh men that he felt were more realistic Huh. and there are a couple of times where i feel like he steps a bit too far into the realism thing and forgets that like in theory he's still adhering to the otome genre, but on the whole I felt like it produced a really interesting game where a lot of the guys have issues that don't necessarily come up in a lot of otome games like um uh one of them is a bi guy who feels um like uncomfortable about his masculinity because of the fact that Uh, Before he was turned into an animal, he lived in the 90s where that wasn't like, the idea that bi men could be traditionally masculine wasn't so common. And then other ones have problems with things like, um, uh, one of them before he was turned into an animal was from the 80s and he's trying to deal with the fact that uh, the punk movement as he knew it is dead and people feel weird about anarchy now (laughs) and all that sort of thing. So, it had surprisingly deep characters, and I really liked it. Um, like, as I say, there are a few caveats to some of the characters, which I feel miss the mark a bit, but on the whole, I would say if people want a dating sim which has more interesting characters that aren't just there for wish fulfilment, it's a good sort of game and worth trying.
0: That sounds pretty cool. I might actually check that out at some point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, wow, we had so yeah, many games to talk about. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> let's talk about... Yeah, I definitely want to have time to talk about
0: yeah, this- your game as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about a different game, which is Inverness Nights, which Maddie here directed and wrote for and also did the background stuff for and everything else. Not everything else, but some other stuff too, because Maddie just does everything. Yeah. Um, Maddie, do you want to tell us a little bit about Inverness Nights? Because obviously I know what it is, but the listeners need to know.
2: <laughs> okay, Um. so just since I kind of had a bit of lead in there, so um, for a precise context, I did basically everything except for the character art. Um, I've got like passable environment art skills, but I'm shit at drawing people. So <laughs> um, as a result, I commissioned the character art and then also the UI because I'm not so great at at more technical design stuff Um, everything else though so sound writing direction code was me and as a result it took three years (laughs) (laughs) very Um, fair yeah but yeah, so the premise of Inverness Nights is that it is a visual novel, and rather than being a like dating sim romance game, it is a breakup romance game. So it's set in 18th century Scotland, and you are an immortal tailor named Tristram Rose, and you've recently had a big falling out with your boyfriend, Alistair, and you are basically, you've mutually decided to break up. Um, Unfortunately, Alistair is still being pretty confrontational about the whole thing, whereas Triss kind of wants to retreat from the situation, so you have to balance uh, Triss's way of handling the breakup and dealing with Alistair now that they're not a couple anymore, with Triss just trying to get his work done and um, continuing his his normal job of sewing stuff. And um, So over the course of probably about 90 minutes to two hours per playthrough. Uh, You can either try and prioritize patching things up with Alistair, um, just getting Triss's work done and ignoring him altogether, or trying to get to know um, the client that you're currently working with, uh, because Triss is basically looking for some company that isn't his angry ex-boyfriend. So. Yeah, Interesting. <laughs> now,
1: so um, I know a little bit about your background, you're involved with uh, IGDA as staff is, um, have you made games before? And like, what was your uh, sort of experience level going in versus the things you learned coming out of this project?
2: Okay, so I hadn't actually completed any games before this one. I had a few projects that I was sort of like a quarter or halfway through making before it. Uh, I originally started in Vanessa Nights intending it to be like a small project that I'd be done with in a couple of months, <laughs> but then it ended up like shoving all of my other stuff out of the way and becoming basically a full-time thing over the last three years. So um, that's my background. Uh, while I didn't have any like training in game development or anything though, um, I think I mentioned briefly earlier, I come from like a an academic media studies background Um, so I have, like, a lot of game design theory that I'm aware of, so that was kind of, um, all I had going into it, which helped a bit, but also didn't necessarily prepare me for some of the practical realities of trying to get a game done mostly single-handedly. Hmm,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, what was... Do you think you've learned, like, any big lessons from making this? I mean, I'm sure you have because it's making a game. But any in particular that have stuck out to you?
2: Who? Um, so, I think the main thing that I've learned the importance of is doing, like, decent pre-production. Um, because <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Yeah, because I started Inverness Nights as, like, as I say, a thing I only intended to take a couple of months. When I started off on it i didn't have a lot of lists planned for all the assets that i would need and all that sort of thing so um while i don't think there was much i could have done to cut down the amount of time i had to spend on it personally um some of the stuff with liaising with the people who did character art and ui for it could have been made easier if i had like proper asset lists and everything planned out more thoroughly from the get-go um so when i when i did bring ui artists and character artists into it i did have a draft version of the script done but because i hadn't planned out the script very thoroughly um a lot of it ended up needing to go back to the drawing board and as a result i kind of had like a steady trickle over the last couple of years of of assets that i needed to recommission and that sort of thing and i feel like if i had iterated more on the plan before writing that draft i wouldn't have run into that problem
0: yeah that makes Mm. a lot of sense um sorry so like the
1: producing on the production so so I know about the writing side of these things I know nothing about the production side so that idea of iterating the plan itself is that the kind of thing that you would then if you want to like for future projects that's the same way you do this if you were part of a large studio you would go in and say okay we're going to iterate like what assets i need and stuff is that the kind of process that you can scale up or is that like more are you going to kind of keep that and use that as an individual as well does that question make sense
0: iteration (laughs) yeah Yeah. iteration in pre-production and production in general is a very big part of game design um yeah, like the things the things Maddie is saying are very much things that like <laughs> um in one of the games I've been working on. Yeah, I've been learning the value of of asset lists and iterating like the script and the gameplay while in pre production so that you kind of have more of an idea what you're doing later on. Maddie, what do you think?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know how useful it would be if you're doing a more gameplay-driven game, because obviously, yeah. then the thing that's going to change what assets you need is whether you can get that gameplay working. But for something like a story where you can tell from an outline, you know, whether whether your scene structure is likely to work and and that sort of thing. Um, my original draft, I'd basically like written it by the seat of my pants and um, not really cared about planning out the scene order, so even though I had that draft on hand when I was commissioning things, um, because I hadn't really carefully thought through the scene order that, that I was using, um, it meant that there were a lot of scenes that ended up cut, a lot of art assets that I thought I originally needed that I didn't end up needing just because I hadn't thought the story through very carefully. And I feel like in any kind of narrative-driven game where you know that the story is going to be the thing that decides what art you need and what sound you need, um, you're better off just making sure that you've got the story, you know, honed in really carefully before you go anywhere near art, because it'll save you know a lot of money and a lot of time and hassle if you know that you're really committed to, if not that exact order of scenes, um, you know, at least ninety percent of them staying where they are. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and so in terms of
1: doing a a breakup simulator, sort of, um, what kind of games did you draw inspiration from, or where did you, um, why did you want to make this? Was it to subvert tropes, or was it because of like ideas you had from other games you've played before, or I know we've been very like raw here with personal stories, so I don't know if that's <laughs> a case of this or not, but what was your um, inspiration for this game?
2: Yeah, so luckily it's not a particularly raw personal story. So yeah, before I started it, <laughs> and the reason why it was such an abrupt project, is because I had broken up with someone, and normally I like deal with emotions by playing relevant games, but then I realized that there aren't really any games about dealing with a breakup um so i ended up making it as a result of that and i before i started that i had the i had the pitch and the outline for a project about like uh an immortal queer couple where so in a lot of queer fiction you have couples that are assumed to you know it's assumed that queer relationships will end inevitably because um you know there's been no legal recourse for queer couples to to have partnerships for a long time and there's also this idea that it's like you know a fleeting thing like the whole but we're both girls with teenagers and then with gay men the association with like death and the fact that everything is going to be a tragic romance so i like the idea of um having a queer couple who in theory have uh together forever because they're immortal but then (laughs) but then it turns out that they're just horrible people like everyone else so maybe they don't <laughs> and i realized that i could like tie a bro- uh, break up into that which is how i ended up with the weird combination of of setting and theme interesting um, yeah luckily as far as my breakup went the one that led into this um it was really amicable like i didn't have any problems with that person it was just that you know we weren't right for each other and we'd been on and off again for a couple of years and that was the time where we finally realized hey maybe the fact that we've been off and on again means that we should just be off forever (laughs) so yeah yeah
1: I was gonna yeah. ask.
2: Is there like? Oh, oh, sorry.
1: No, I was gonna ask about the immortal part specifically about <laughs> what um, made you want to include that su- supernatural element. But I think you pretty much answered that. Unless there's anything else you want to add about it.
2: Also, I just like historical fantasy. I think it's cool. So <laughs> good, good. That's Always my more shallow motivation.
0: <laughs> yeah. So is it like? Any any particular things you want your players to get out of this game when they play it? Like, do you want them to be like, like, do you want them to play it because they've had a breakup and they want a relatable game, or are there like any particular things that you want to remain with your players?
2: Um. So partly that, like, I did just want something to be around for people who who have got sick of looping somebody that I used to know for. You know, 40 (laughs) hours and want to do something else for a few. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Aside from that, I guess the main thing is that um, in a lot of queer games, you've got kind of these two polarized ends where either you get queer games that are mostly there to be cute escapism or sort of pulpy escapism, you know, stuff like Dream Daddy, Or you have the opposite end of the scale where it's mostly about, like, fetishization and sexuality and um, not so much a a side from just making a physical appeal to people and being whatever seems hot, whether that's hot to actual queer people or hot to straight people. You know, um, stuff like a lot of Japanese dating sims like Dramatical Murder or um, Western stuff like Coming Out on Top. Yeah. So I guess the other main takeaway and, and uh, value that I saw in making in Vanessa Nights was uh, creating something that's not driven by either being cute escapism or just sex, basically. It's more there for people who want like an emotional story with queer characters who are well thought out and have personalities that exist for something other than wish fulfillment, whatever kind of wish fulfillment that might be um as a result i've had a few people like come back and and be like oh no all of these guys are unlikable what's the problem and i'm (laughs) like well they're they're being dicks to each other because they've been together for four years and they've realized that it was a horrible time for everyone involved do you expect either of them to be acting particularly particularly likably right now
0: so yeah. yeah, so okay, one thing I want to ask cuz I know you've talked to me quite a bit about like the world of the story and stuff, but is it like a spoiler about the immortality of this character? Why how exactly are they immortal and what does it mean for them? Um so basically immortality
2: is used as like a metaphor for being queer in this um so Triss, the protagonist does not know why he's immortal. He always has been and to his knowledge, no other immortal people exist. But he finds out uh, kind of, I'd say like a quarter of the way through the story, so it's not a huge spoiler, that other immortal people do exist. And that basically makes him question what he's been doing with his life, because he suddenly realizes that he didn't have to be hanging out here in like this rural town with this, di- with this guy he doesn't entirely like, and he could have gone to the city and found you know, other immortal people to be with who he'd be happier around. Um, so it's kind of like that issue that a lot of queer people run into, especially queer people who aren't living in, like, major urban centers where there's a known queer community from the get-go, yeah. where you put up with people that you maybe shouldn't and you have a lot of I like have a lot of ideas basically about how I guess how special you are and how much you should be allowed to get away with because you're the only one of your kind that then get shattered as soon as you're shown the greater queer community because like I I've known for most of my life that I'm queer and I've identified with that community for a long time and i have run into people who um basically have ended up in this space where they think because they're queer it has basically martyred them and they're allowed to be horrible because no one is going to understand them so why should they even try to be an accessible person (laughs) so yeah so tris has (laughs) a bit of that mentality and um that's part of why the immortal thing exists aside from it being cool
0: (laughs) That's a really cool metaphor. I really I really like that, um, especially because of the whole like queer people often dying in fiction. You've kind of got <laughs> these yeah. queer people who are just like, they can't die, they're just here.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. That's what my first thought was, that it's a sort of re- refutation of that.
2: Yeah. And um, while that thread doesn't get picked up at the beginning of the story so much... Um, if you play deeper into the game, spoilers, There, there's some of that. There's a bit of that. It definitely, it's something that gets poked <laughs> at. Um, the idea that also, like, an- another idea that I hate and I wanted to try and tackle with it is the idea that queer people are kind of ahistorical. So that's also why it's historical fiction, is, um, like, we have a history, and even if it's not immediately apparent to people you know we've been here for a long time and we can outlast any stupid shit that people throw at us to to try and get us to go away like you know you can go through eras and regimes where queer records are destroyed and people will just come back so the idea that you can't kill us and we will keep returning
0: is is <laughs> something that comes out
2: more and more towards the end of the story
0: Yeah, so when it comes, like, in terms of historical fiction, because I know you have a lot of, like, you do a lot of research and stuff, how, like, if somebody's really into, like, the history of Scotland, right, will they see, like, a lot of historical facts in your story? Apart from, like, the fantasy stuff. (laughs) Um,
2: So there's one big thing which I've probably flubbed some details of, which is the legal system in 1750s Scotland. So... In theory, at that point in time, um, there are there are like a few scenarios and different endings where things progress remarkably fast, and no one is like filing any court cases for any of the things that they're accusing other people of. Um, I won't give any more details <laughs> on it than that, but I yes. realize that a lot of the <laughs> things that I kind of hustle through with, you know what powers the law would have at that point in time and how they would react to certain things is kind of hyperbolic, but that was more because otherwise I'd be like, oh no, this person is in legal trouble. We're gonna have to sit here for three weeks while they resolve the court case to find out whether or not there's any actual (laughs) issues here.
0: I think Um, I think that's an acceptable use of creative freedom there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So aside from dramatic liberty in that particular area of things, I've mostly tried to be pretty accurate. Um, I'm sure that if people from like actual Highlands Scotland played it, there would be a lot more resources in history that they have immediate access to that they could use to pick up some minor issues. But um, on the whole, as much as like as much information as I could find living on the opposite side of the world to get things right, I have tried to dig up and, and apply. So unless you're a like real expert on the subject, it shouldn't have too many things to to annoy you. And if you don't know anything about Highland Scotland, it should hopefully
0: teach you some stuff. <laughs> I think <laughs> you'll be relatively safe with your player base there, but I guess you'll find out.
2: Yeah, fingers crossed. The problem with putting the location name in the title is that like I have seen Scottish people in the comments of some things I've posted being like, hey, that's near where I live. I should play it. And I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> Uh so where can people play it if they want to uh, check your game out uh so it's currently available on itch.io and um it's 12 dollars for a copy the average runtime of the game um ideally you should give it three playthroughs and it'll be about four and a half to five hours if you do um if you just do one playthrough it's 90 minutes and you're probably only getting a third of the story but uh, it's up to you you live your life (laughs) <laughs> um, and there's also a demo there, so if you're not super sure on whether you want to try it, uh, you can give that a go, and that's about 40 minutes of the game. So,
0: Cool. I can personally attest to Maddie's writing being really good, so if you like good writing and supernatural queer fiction, then definitely check it out. I haven't had time to play it yet, I've played a bit of the demo, um, but oh my god. Free time is such a fleeting thing, but I'm definitely going to play this when I have the time because I'm really keen to get into it. I've heard so much about the story <laughs> that I really want to <laughs> actually see it. Um, yeah, um,
2: yeah. I, I've ended up in a weird place with some people where I have a few friends who I'm close with who have heard me working on it for three years but haven't played it, and they know like odds and ends of the plot that they've been trying to assemble in their minds but there's, like, one particular spoiler that I've sat on that rearranges all this information in it. Ooh, interesting. And it's really funny hearing people's theories about what's happening before that spoiler and then hearing people's theories about what's happening after they realise that, because in most cases it's managed to rearrange, like, their interpretation of the whole thing.
0: That's cool. That's really cool. So, Maddie, um... I guess we should probably wrap up now because we've been going for a while. But Maddie, <laughs> where can people find you online?
2: Uh, so the easiest place to find me is on Twitter, where I am at Kitsubasa. So I'm assuming you'll put a link on the page for that. But um, Yeah, we can put
0: things in the show notes.
2: Yeah. Um, but that's like at K-I-T-S-U-B-A-S-A. And then I'm also that on itch.io and also on Tumblr, though I wouldn't recommend looking at my Tumblr if you're wanting work information, because it's mostly pictures of cute birds, (laughs) so…
0: Sweet. Um, So, Megan, did you want to promo one of your things?
1: Sure. Well, I just wanted to, uh, to note that after some absence, I'm back actually writing things, and my latest thing is a, the review of, of Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad for Den of Geeks, so that's available now. Um, and I can be found at blog full of words on Twitter,
0: and you can see all my various uh, geeky outlets there. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me at NotSefwork.com, where my new podcast network that I launched earlier this month can be found. Um, it's a network about just really eclectic stuff, kind of nerdy, kind of not. Um, it's got a podcast about Wonder Woman, about mythical beasts and cryptids, uh, writing and games and stuff, and queer fiction as well so if you like any of those things you should check out that network it's got some cool people on it including me um yeah that's me thank you toshi station for having us on their network thank you maddie for coming onto the show thank you for having me (laughs) yeah of course and don't forget to check the western reaches